Thank you, Lord. Let's take our Bibles tonight, please. Turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Now, how many of you have the handout uh, for the first lesson from last week? You remembered to bring it back tonight because we didn't finish. If you do not have one, please raise your hand. We have some extras printed tonight. Uh, Mr. Ronson, do you have those there? Okay, great. Just raise your hand if you didn't get a handout for tonight. We're going to go over, if you have your pen and you can write quickly, we're going to just review very quickly the first several points about the Christian and his battles. The Christian and his battles. Now, we did have an introductory handout as well that gave some back, uh, background of the book, the history of the author, and some things that we handed out for you just to take home. And uh, we don't have any more of those, I don't believe, but we can get you one if you would like one, if you're trying to collect the whole series. And then tonight, we will finish The Christian and His Battles. I bit off more than I could chew last week, and so um, tonight we will take our time and try to finish it up. All right, everybody has one? All right, James chapter 1. I never turned there myself. James chapter 1, the Bible says, we'll read the first 16 verses, and that's where we will end tonight. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into divers temptations. Right away we see a difference in this epistle than we do many others. Many epistles have a lot of introductions, sometimes the whole first chapter this one just has a sentence and it jumps right in to the content. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. And that's where we'll take our title for the Christian and his battles. The Christian and his battles. Verse 3. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. When I, when I think of the word patience, I don't necessarily, to be honest with you, think of a good thing. And the reason I say that is because I understand and I know that patience is a good thing. But the only time I hear the word is when somebody says, now be patient. How many of you, does that burn you up when somebody says be patient? Brother Spong, does your wife ever tell you to be patient? No. I, I've been told at times, now just be patient. And I, we don't like hearing that, but it is a virtue of the Christian life to, to learn patience. And I've told you before that I think the Lord is trying for years to teach me patience. I have never, ever gotten in a checkout line where somebody didn't have a price check. Where they didn't close and say, sorry, we're closed. We're going, wait, what? I've been in line for 20 minutes. Now you're closing? Or the cashier just all of a sudden walks away. One of my pet peeves is if I've been waiting in line and then the phone rings, they answer the phone. I thought, wait a minute, I got out of my lazy boy, drove down to the store, I'm standing in line, and yet this guy picks up a phone, you're going to serve him first. And so we, I think the Lord's trying to teach me patience. How does he do that? The Bible says, by the trying of our faith. And again, that is not another pleasant thing, but you can see as we read verse by verse, there's some battles in the Christian life. They're not all that severe just yet. But how many of you have been, had your faith tried in a severe way? And so there are some times where we are tried in bigger ways, and that's why we are tested in the small ways, that our strength might come into us spiritually, that we might grow, that we might be able to handle some real battles in this life that do come along from time to time. So let patience have her perfect work. Let it come to maturity. All right, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom... 
Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. I think James is asking there, or saying this tongue-in-cheek, if any of you lack wisdom. Well, we all lack wisdom from time to time, and there's areas of, of course, none of us are experts in all areas of life, and so we lack wisdom. But he's being kind when he says, if any of you ask lack wisdom, let him ask of God. But let him ask, verse 6, in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low. Because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Let's pray. Father, help us, Lord, to understand your word tonight. Help us to grow as we learn more from the book of James. May the Spirit of God apply it to our hearts and teach us strengthen us, help us. And Father, the next time we do go through a trial, may we recall something in this book that would say, this is for my good, this is for my growth. And Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we start with the Roman numeral you'll see behind me, the Christian and his battles. And we see in the first 12 verses, and I'm just helping you fill in your outline if you're just new tonight, uh, the Bible talks about the testing. The testing of the Christian life in letter A. And so we want to look at number one, first of all, and then we will pick up tonight with number two is where we left off, or sorry, letter B is where we left off. Number one, as we talk about the testing of the Christian life, testing is for a purpose. Testing is for a purpose. And we see verses 2 through 11, he gives us several purposes. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh, Patience. And so we've alliterated this to try to help us remember, but first of all, it was for our enlargement. Enlargement means to help us grow. All right? So it's to help us grow. It's to help us gain patience. It worketh patience. And let patience have her perfect work, verse 4, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And so it, it moves us, first of all, number one, it gets us out of the ruts. You see, when we get into Christian life, we tend to do that, don't we? We get into a rut. And uh, I, I tend to do that too. And you know, with our services, I, we try to change the services up from time to time. I, you know, it's funny how some people, I will watch some people in the service and they'll know, okay, it's time to stand up. And it's time to sit down. I don't have to tell them. I can walk to the pulpit and people are already reaching for their hymn books and standing up. Now, wait a minute, we're not singing, sit down. You know? And so sometimes we'll throw a curve in there. And if I can get my staff to read the order of service, it sure helps because sometimes Calvin will go dismiss the children. I'll be, wait, I changed it this week. And, but the truth is we get into those ruts, don't we? 
So trials come along and they move us a little bit. They start to work on us. The Lord's saying, I need you to come up to another level. And so I'm going to try your faith or allow the trying of your faith so it works patience and let patience have its perfect work. And we see that we enlarge as a result to move us. Secondly, to mellow us. You'll see in verse 3, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. We spent some time on this last week, but as we grow and age, most people naturally become more mellow. I've met some people that are miserable from, from uh, cradle to, to the grave, I, I understand. But it seems, and it tends to be, that most people, they don't sweat the small stuff anymore. As they grow and mature, whether they're saved or unsaved, it seems like they, they don't stress about little things like they once did, perhaps. And Some of the stress, I understand, as we grow older is a little bit maybe removed. We don't have to put food on the table for a large family anymore and things like that. And so things begin to change and maybe your mortgage is paid off and so that's less of a stress in your life. But, and so you mellow in a natural way, but for the Christian, the child of God, we ought to mellow because... Patience begins to have its perfect work, and it, the trying of our faith work is patience. And then we see uh, that it's also to mature us. Letter th- number three is to mature us when we're talking about our enlargement. And that's what it means in verse four when it says, let patience have her perfect work. It means bring us to maturity. That's what perfect is, is mature. God said to Moses, Be thou perfect. The Bible will tell us in the book of James later on that a perfect man bridleth his tongue. How many of you ladies have ever met a perfect man? Wow, no hands went up. Well, that word doesn't mean perfect in the sense that we think of it. It means literally to be mature. And when you're able to control your tongue, you've become mature and Patience in the life is a mark of spiritual maturity. So uh, these, this purpose of testing is for our enlargement. And then we see letter B was for our enlightenment. And we're still in our review tonight. We won't do this every week because we'll start other lessons. But for tonight, just so we get the context of the last part of our lesson, they're also for our enlightenment. Do you know that testing reveals some things to you, don't they? It's during trials that we find out what we're really made of. And so it is an enlightenment. It is enlightening. It helps us to understand verse 5. says, if any of you last with him, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. It reveals to us, first of all, that we need to lean on God. And it reveals that wisdom is required. That's number one under enlightenment, that wisdom is required. And secondly, it reveals to us that wisdom must be requested. Wisdom must be requested. Look at it. It says in, the Bible says, let him ask. Let him ask. And the Bible says also that we will find out that wisdom is received. Wisdom is received. The Bible says, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. You see, there's a prayer request in the Bible. You said, does God answer prayers? This is one he always says yes to. Yeah, I think God always says yes to if we ask for grace. He giveth more grace, the Bible says. To the humble he giveth, what? Grace. And so I think when we pray for grace and ask God for grace, he always answers that prayer. And one of the other prayers that he always answers is when we ask him for wisdom, because in effect what we are doing is humbling ourselves and saying, Lord, I'm relying upon you 100%. I don't know how to handle this situation, so I'm asking you for wisdom. I know that 
in this life, I will have to deal with problems and situations. We often say, well, God, I'm just going to give you this problem. God says, wait a minute, I'm equipping you to take care of it. I'll give you wisdom. And so we ought not shy away. There are times where God says, leave that with me, I'll take care of it. You'll pray about something, God, give me wisdom how to deal with that, and God will just solve the problem. God will take care of it. I I remember one time years ago, we had a a family come to the church, and man, they they were causing some troubles. And... Folks in the church began to notice and come, Pastor, we got this, this family, they're, they're drawing this one young lady away, and this other, the, the husband, he's taking some of the teens aside, and he's kind of influencing them, and we don't like what he's saying to them, and it was becoming a real problem, and so he said, what do we do about it? I said, let's do this. I said, and we got the deacons together, and we talked. I said, let's pray about this for two weeks. I said, I mean, watch your kids, stay by these folks, we'll pray about this for a couple weeks, and I said, then we're going to deal with it. You know what God did in those two weeks? The very next day, I get a call from the husband. He says, my wife is so deathly sick. He says, uh, she had lupus, and he says, it's activated by stress and with our business and things going on in our lives. We just need to go away for a while. He said, I'm taking her to a campground way up north somewhere. We're putting up a tent in the middle of nowhere, and we're not going to have anybody around us for the whole summer. I had to go back to the Lord and say, Lord, I didn't ask you to kill her. I just... I just But the Lord said, I'll take care of that one for you. And we never saw them again. But there's other times where he says, I'm going to equip you for the problem. And so ask for wisdom. And he says, the Lord Lord that giveth to all men, God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, it shall be given him. But there's a condition. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. You gotta believe you're gonna receive it. And so we see wisdom requested and wisdom received, but wisdom can be refused. We must ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive what? Not just wisdom, anything. There's some teaching here besides just asking for wisdom. There's some teaching here about prayer, isn't there? Because he broadens the scope of the request. The request was wisdom, but he says, no, 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 don't just think I'm talking about wisdom here. If you're going to waver and you're not going to ask in faith and you're going to be driven around by the wind like uh, the waves of the sea, he says, I'm not going to give you anything. You're a double-minded man. and You're unstable in all your ways. And so we see that wisdom can be refused. Why? Because of indecision. Number A, we've already, I'm just going to give you these three because we've been talking about them as we go. Indecision. A double-minded man. He's got two thoughts. He's got two hearts. He's going in two directions. He's double-minded. The Bible says, uh, so indecision. And then we see uh, the illustration, one who asks for wisdom and then runs to and fro. Seeking, and he gives the illustration of a, a, a wave that is tossed by the wind and driven by the wind. What are you driven by? What are your heart's motives? And so he gives us this illustration. Then the information is letter C. Our indecision can cause our prayers not to be answered, illustrated by this wave that is tossed by the sea. Now he gives us some information about this wavering condition, the spiritual laws, verse 7. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. That's a spiritual law. And I taught you last week, how do we identify a spiritual law in the Bible? A spiritual law is something that is given by matter of fact in the Word of God, and it is attached to a promise, and so we can understand it to be true. 
And so you say, well, what do you mean by that? Here's an example. Whatsoever man soweth, what's the rest? That shall he also reap. We have taken it into a cute little proverb today that we say, you reap what you sow. And so, uh, he, uh, whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. That is a spiritual law of scripture. And so we, we can apply that to all kinds of promises in the Bible, can't we? If we sow in love, we reap love. If we sow in kindness, we reap kindness. And so we understand how that scripture applies to a lot of things. It's a spiritual law. So verse 7 is a spiritual law. If we pray and we waver in our faith and we're double-minded, let not that man think he shall receive anything from the Lord. Faith is always a requirement of prayer, and so that's a spiritual law. And then we see a social law. He's reminding us of a condition of the vast amount of men. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. It's not a spiritual law because it does not necessarily apply to the promises of God's Word, but it's just a commentary on society. If you are in a place of indecision in a double-minded man, you're just unstable. I remember after my first year of Bible college, I was concerned about the direction of our Bible college. And thankfully, God burdened the heart of the president of the school and he saw the direction as well and resigned the church that he was pastoring and had a heart for the college and decided to become the president. He called it the first resident president of the college. And for the next couple of years, things improved greatly on the campus. And we were thankful, I was thankful anyway, that things were tightening up and, and going in the direction that I had grown up to be accustomed to. And I remember that second semester of my first year, though, thinking, oh, maybe I won't come back here. Baptist Bible College Canada was still a full-time school at the time, though it was fledgling, and, and I think, and maybe I'll come back to Simcoe, and I can work there. I was struggling to find a job. I wasn't, wasn't American, so I couldn't work, and maybe I'll just go back, and one of my grades dropped in a class that I really shouldn't have, and when you know, Dr. Strachan came down for the fellowship meetings, and we were walking to his car, he was going to take me out for lunch, we were walking to the car, the BBFI had national fellowship meetings, and he would go to those occasionally, and so he went that year, and he caught up with me, he said, let's go for lunch, I said, okay, and so we were walking to the car, and we were walking by the mail room, and I said, let me just stop and grab my mail, I don't always get over to this side of campus, my dorm was at the other end, and I said, let me just grab my mail on the way to the car, and he said, all right, when you know, he's standing right there when I got my report card. Now, Dr. Strachan could be intimidating, but when you're holding your report card and you're a Bible college student, he says, oh, wonderful, let me see that. And he read it before I did. And he saw some A's and B's. He goes, what's this C? And I thought, oh, great, here we go. And so I, I said, well, I, I don't know. I said, you know, that class I really should have done better in. I was just, I don't know. And he said this. He says, you're in a place of indecision. He says, you're, you're struggling with whether you want to be here or not. And he says, until you get sold out for where you're going to be, you're going to struggle. So he says, whether you're going home or whether you're staying here, you just need to decide. And he says, and you'll do much better. Well, he's basically quoting this verse, wasn't he? A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And that helped me, and I decided to stay. And, and from there on out, my grades were fine. And uh, whether you care or not doesn't really matter, does it? But I did better. Amen. And so it's for our enlightenment. And then thirdly, it's for our ennoblement. Our ennoblement. Ennoblement means to be granted something. 
What do trials do? They ennoble us. And the Bible says in verse 9, and I know we're moving very quickly. We're trying to fill everybody in. Verse 9, let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he's exalted. So we are ennobled. Isn't that wonderful that we humble ourselves before God and we trust in him and we ask him for wisdom and God says, I'll exalt you. I'll exalt you. I'll take care of that. And so we see it's for our ennoblement. So we should rejoice in advancement. Rejoice in advancement. Secondly, rejoice in adversity. Look what it says in verse 10. But the rich in that he is made low. Boy, that doesn't sound anything to rejoice in. But we ought to rejoice in it because when the rich is made low, look what the Bible says. Because as the flowers of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof faileth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. The love of money is the root of all evil. It's not wrong to have riches. It's wrong when riches have you. And he's saying that when the rich man is brought low, that, that word low means when he's got a humble spirit. Remember what the Bible says in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And that's what that word low is talking about. Having a humble spirit. And so we ought to rejoice in adversity because we learn, hey, we can't buy our way out of this situation. We need to trust in God. And so we see that we are to rejoice in adversity. We see a vivid example, the rich man, and a valid expectation. What is the expectation when we trust in the deceitful list of riches and the cares of this world, as in the parable of the sore, we can trust that things will wither and die and be choked out, as it says in our scripture, verse 12. And then we see number two, testing is for our profit. And here's where we're working on at the end of last week and through the rest of tonight. All right? So we've caught up. And let's just go over these things. The testing is for our profit. We see that the testing had a purpose, but now it's also for our profit. Verse 12, blesses the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life. Something that's going to come into your life that is a blessing when we trust in the wisdom of God and, and, and function according to the principles of Scripture. It's not always easy to do. And... It's not always easy to recall a scripture verse at any moment's notice and understand a principle that we were once taught, but that's why we trust the Holy Spirit. And we don't always, uh, like uh, maybe the example I gave you earlier is appropriate, uh, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap, but we, we've just shortened it down to, you reap what you sow. And you might not remember the scripture, and you may not know that it was found in Galatians 6, but the principle that's been burned in your heart, you reap what you sow, boy, that's probably saved you a lot of heartache over the years. How about the golden rule? You ever practice the golden rule? Do unto others as you'd have others do unto you? That's what we were taught in school from a young age. That's not a quote out of scripture directly. The Bible says it very differently, and of course we use a King James, and so the King James English is very much different as well. But that principle that we learned in kindergarten is still very applicable, because we may not remember the verse, we may not know the scripture, but we can know the principles, and so that helps us. It is a profit unto our life. And so when we endure temptation, when we are tried, we shall receive the crown of life. And so first of all, we see the crisis endured. The crisis endured. Endureth is the key word here. We cannot endure without the help of God. But in the process of enduring, we're blessed. 
Because when we seek God's help, we naturally draw closer to God. It's through trials and tribulations that we often grow closer to somebody. I have spent in the last five or six days many hours with Larry and Spring Wilson and Roger and, and Annie and, and Annie's brother uh, Todd's been there and his, her sister Kim's been there and Crystal's been there and spent a lot of hours with those families. And I got to be honest with you, you get to know people better during those trials. During those times sitting beside a bed and praying with them and, and weeping with them and, and helping them through that time and, and just that's when you grow closer. And listen, when you call on God during a trial and a temptation and, and you say, I need to endure this, that's when you'll draw closer to Him as well. Because He delights in being a part of our life. And so blessed is the man because he'll receive the crown of life. The crisis must be endured and then secondly, letter B, the crown is insured. The crown is insured. He shall receive. It's a promise. You know, so many people today, they just run from opposition and run from trials and hardships. And nobody relishes them, I understand, and we don't enjoy them in any way. But they've been brought into our life for a purpose, to strengthen us. I liken it to a, a man who hates exercise. I got to be honest with you, I, that exercise bike, I still want to kick it when I see it. I don't like it, but down in my heart, I know if I get on that thing and ride it like I ought to and I exercise like I should, I'll feel better, I'll have more strength, I'll have more energy. But when we despise exercise, we lose strength. It doesn't help us, it doesn't profit us. But when we embrace exercise, we become stronger and healthier and in, in better shape, more fit. We become more spiritually fit when we endure temptations. When we embrace those things that God has brought into our lives to, to strengthen us and help us. So blessed, that is spiritual joy. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. I want you to see letter B tonight. The temptations of the Christian life. The temptations of the Christian life. You say, letter A doesn't sound much different. Letter A was the trials, I believe, I'm trying to remind myself here, or the testing of the Christian life. What is the difference between the testing and the temptations? Well, the temptations that God has been, or James has been addressing up to this point, are those things that we learn how to trust God and endure. Those temptations, those things that make us stronger, the, the trials of life. And now as we move on to this, uh, second, this second part in verse 13, where the Bible says, let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. It is talking more about temptation that comes into our life in a sinful way. All right? Think about this. Look back at verse 2. Look back at verse 2. It, it, it illustrates the difference very clearly. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations. Is that temptation there talking about sin? No. Are we to count it joy when we fall into sin? No, so obviously that's not the context, is it? Context is always defined for us if we just read it. But now look down at verse uh, 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So now this temptation is associating with evil. 
It's a different temptation, isn't it? So there are different temptations that come into our life. There are the trials that we have talked about so far. And the Bible says, blessed the man that endureth those trials or those temptations. But now he's saying, let no man say when he is tempted that he is tempted of God, for God cannot tempt any man with evil. So now it's an evil thing. So there are more than one type of temptation. So what are the temptations of the Christian life? First of all, we see the source. The source of temptation, verses 13 through 15. And I want you to notice about the source, what we must realize. What we must realize. What must come to our attention. And look at the recording, number one, of a common error. The recording of a common error. Verse 13a, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. The scripture here is, James is saying, hey, I've, heard, I've heard this going around. Let me write this down for you. Quit saying when you're tempted that you're tempted of God. Years ago, I think I've probably told you this before, we were sitting at the dinner table and Emily was being a little mother to Austin. He was only about two and a half, three years old. And she was his second mom and she was just nattering him. Get your elbows off the table. And you do, 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 Just going on like a little mom. And he just piped up and he says, blame the devil, will you? And give me a break. But you know, that's a common concept. We blame everything on somebody else. James says, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of the Lord. Don't you blame the Lord for this. Don't you raise your fist to the sky when you're going through a trial or you're tempted to sin. Don't you blame God. God's not going to tempt you with evil. We tempt, tend to blame everybody else for our problems. Whatever happened to just saying, listen, you know what? I blew it. I'm going to take responsibility. And so we see the second part, not only the recording of a common error, but we see the refuting of a common error. This is an age-old problem. Do you know that when man first sinned, Adam, he tried to blame somebody else? The woman that thou gavest me, Gave me to eat and I did steed. He tried to blame his wife and he tried to blame God. You gave, I have a woman and you gave her to me, God. He tried to pass the blame. Do you know that Eve tried to do the same thing? The serpent beguiled me. Why not just get up and say the truth? I disobeyed you, God, and I took it. You, you can't blame anybody else. Because you are complicit in the sin. You agreed to partake. That's the problem we see in our society today. Let's blame everybody else. Let's blame our parents for all our problems. Well, I, I killed 13 people in a church last week. I shot up the place because my mom wasn't very good to me as a child. I got, I got daddy issues. I can remember as plain a day sitting in Bible college in general psychology class. Do you remember this? You know what I'm going to talk about. He literally said, you know, there's some men that are having some real problems today because their fathers didn't change their diapers enough. I don't remember who changed my diapers. I don't know if I've just forgotten or I've tried to block it out of my memory. But what a bunch of garbage. Take responsibility. That was 40 years ago. 44 years ago for me. Why are we blaming that? Grow up! Isn't that what the book's trying to say? Grow up? 
And so, let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Look at verse 4. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of what? His own lust. Here's the problem. You've got a heart problem. And so, first of all, we must realize that that God is not responsible. And what we must recognize, first of all, number one, the matriarch of sin. Where is the cause of it? You say, why is it the matriarch? Why is it the mother? You're not supposed to blame your mother. Here's why. Because Satan is the father of sin. And the matriarch, or I, I didn't want to say the mother of sin. That just didn't sound good for some reason. But the matriarch of sin is the lust in our own hearts. Father is the devil, lust in our hearts is the mother, and so therefore when it's conceived, it bringeth forth sin. The Bible says, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Where is temptation born? It's born in the heart of man. When we desire and value our own desires above God's plan, sin is conceived in the form of our lust. Lust isn't Lust also always seems to have a sexual overtone, doesn't it? That's not the only thing we lust about. You could walk through a parking lot and say, ooh, look at that new car. Man, that is shiny, cherry, red Ferrari. Man, you could lust that. You could be drawn away, and you could get yourself in financial trouble by overextending yourself and going and buying that car because you have a midlife crisis. Lust can cause sin in a lot of other ways than just a sexual overtone. And so be very careful about, the Bible says we, are, we, we fall to temptation when we are drawn away of our own lust. That's just saying putting your desires before God. That's lust. So we see the matriarch of sin. We also see the method of sin. Look what it does to you. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. By the way, that's why I use the word matriarch or mother, just in case somebody thinks I'm trying to be mean the Bible talks about when lust hath conceived. It takes a father and a mother. The father's the devil, the mother, or the matriarch, his lust. But when it hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. That's the method of sin. And sin, look what it says, when it is finished. This is a book of Christian maturity, and that phrase, that's what it's pointing at. When it is finished means when it has come to full growth. Well, do you know in order for something to grow, it starts out small, doesn't it? And then it begins to be nurtured, and it begins to be fed, and it begins to grow. Sin is no different. Sin gets its claws in us and less conceives. And I, I like how the, the Bible explains this. Conceives. Do you know, do you know that when a, a baby is conceived, you can't even see that one little cell under a microscope hardly? But they grow, don't they? They grow. Brendan was born at 35 weeks. Full term is 40. And so we were a little concerned, and he was about 5 pounds and 10 ounces, which was pretty good for being 5 weeks early. And then he lost some weight. Babies usually lose weight the first week or so, and he got down just under 5 pounds and had to be at 5 pounds before we could take him home. But, and we thought, boy, he's just going to be a little runt. He's 6 foot 1. I mean, they They grow. Sin does the same thing. When it is conceived, it's small. But when it is finished, it's enough to kill you. The Bible says it bringeth forth death. So sin, the method of sin is, 
is it will grow. And then the maturity of sin. The maturity of sin. I don't mean maturity in a good way. I mean like what we've been talking about. It will grow to the point where it will kill you. The wages of sin is death. Sin when it has, it is, when it has its end is death. Sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. Sin grows to eventually kill people. Adam and Eve did not die as they thought they, they might, as God, they thought God had said they would, but it's not what God meant. God meant sin will conceive. Eventually it will kill you. It took 930 years, but it did. And it finished Adam. Number two, we'll finish with verse 16, the subtlety of temptation. The subtlety of temptation. Number one was the source. We've looked at that the last few verses, but then we see the subtlety of temptation. He says, do not err, my beloved brethren. You see, where do you get subtlety out of that? See the word err? How many times do we like to brush off sin and say, well, they just made a little mistake? (laughs) James says, hey, don't make this mistake. Sin is subtle. And it conceives just real small, and then it grows, and then it brings forth death. Watch out. Do not err, because it's so subtle. It seems so small. It seems so insignificant. It's just a white lie. But you read Revelation chapter 22, and it talks about that, or Revelation chapter 21, it talks about the lake of fire, and it talks about the whoremongers and the adulterers, and it talks about the murderers, and it talks about the liars. Shall be found in the lake of fire. It's not just a little sin, it grows. Do not err, my beloved brethren. You say, well, how did James have such an intimate knowledge of sin and its effects? How did he know it was so deceitful? Maybe by looking in his own heart. You understand that James grew up in the very same home as Jesus Christ, in the presence of Jesus. He was his half-brother. And yet the Bible says he didn't believe in Jesus Christ until after the resurrection. How can you live in the presence of the perfect Son of God and not believe? Because the heart is deceitfully wicked, as Jeremiah teaches us. The Bible says in Hebrews that sin is deceitful. Sin is deceitful. And for all those years, James was deceived, and he knew what just a little bit of sin in our lives can, once it's conceived, it will grow, and it'll bring forth death. He'd seen it over and over again. Sin is deceptive. Let's pray. Father, help us. To grow, help us to understand your word. We thank you for the lessons of James and pray that you help us to learn them, that we might not make the same mistakes. Help us not to err by allowing a little sin into our lives that will grow and take root. And Father, we'll thank you. Bless our prayer time. Hear our cries tonight. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Take out your prayer list tonight. Did, you, did everybody get one? Sometimes you maybe come in the back door and don't get one. Did everybody get It's a green prayer list? I'm going to tell you right, in the spirit of our lesson tonight, I'm not going to blame anybody else. It says 2016 on the front. That's me. That's my fault, all right? We were doing up a template at the end of the year, and I put 2016 on there because it was 2016, and I was foolish. So there you go. All right, Brother McPherson, you come.